3: Square Books in Oxford, an independent bookstore offering more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and bookseller recommendations. More at Libro.fm.
1: Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, November 15th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as the campaign for the U.S. Senate continues, find out how health care is becoming a top issue for candidates and voters.
0: We have all these uh, rural hospitals closing. We have prescription drug costs going up. We have health care costs going up. We have wages that are barely going up. So when people get sick, they go to the hospital and they can't cover the entire bill.
1: Then we'll hear how advocates hope today's Great American Smokeout will inspire Mississippians to quit using tobacco, And in our book club, a conversation with author and professor Andrew Wiest. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are 13 days from choosing who will represent them in the U.S. Senate. Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate Mike Espy is continuing campaign efforts. At a forum yesterday hosted by Working Together Jackson, Espy identified health care as the number one issue in Mississippi.
0: One-third of Mississippians have pre-existing conditions. And so they're they're, they're so worried about uh, their condition not being covered by the insurance company. We have all these uh, rural hospitals closing because our leadership in Mississippi did not accept the Medicaid expansion money that was offered to it a couple of years ago. And those chickens are coming home to roost. We have prescription drug costs going up. We have health care costs going up. We have wages that are barely going up. So when people get sick, and so many are sick, getting sick in Mississippi today, they go to the hospital and they can't cover the entire bill. So the only way all these rural hospitals had the resources to cover that deficit was to Medicaid. But we didn't accept the expansion money, and so now that money is no longer there, and these hospitals are closing. Even in Clarksdale, where my nephew is the mayor, they announced a few weeks ago that the rural hospital was closing. So that is the problem. So healthcare is the number one issue in Mississippi today. So I believe that we ought to make sure that we can get the Medicaid money placed in these rural hospitals. I think that we ought to cover everyone. With a pre-existing condition, we could do that in America. And I just want to make sure that everyone in Mississippi who has a condition like I have, that has an ailment, whether it's cancer, hypertension, or heart disease, they are no longer worried that when they go to the hospital that, that they'll, they'll be denied.
1: This week, Republican U.S. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith co-sponsored a bill that she says will protect citizens with pre-existing illnesses. At the forum, SP calls the bill a sham.
0: In a statement she made several weeks ago, she said that she supported pre-existing conditions and she, uh, 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 it, it, she had been on bills to promote pre-existing conditions. And we said in our statement that that was not true. We reviewed her record. We know her record. You know, it's only been there. so it only been there a few, a few months. So it's not that long. So she had not done that. So we called her on that. So today I understand that she uh, she's co-sponsored Senator Tillis' bill from North Carolina to make sure that insurance covenants cover people with pre-existing conditions. That was just today. So already you know that what she said three weeks ago or two weeks ago was not true because she joined only today as a co-sponsor on that bill. Now, that bill is also a little bit insufficient because it says that uh, you might cover someone with pre-existing conditions as a person, but you may not cover the condition that they're suffering from. It's a sham bill. Uh, I wish you would vote for a bill put on the floor by Democrats three weeks ago that said, that said all pre-existing conditions are covered by insurance companies and they are not disallowed from covering that.
1: Senate candidate Mike Asby. Republican candidate Cindy Hyde-Smith <coughs> pardon me, was also invited to the forum. She was absent due to her work in the Senate. Sarah Campbell is with Wells United Methodist Church. She spoke with MPB's Ashley Norwood.
3: We feel it's very important to start relationships with candidates during the election cycle, but we don't want those relationships to end on election day. We want those relationships to begin before the election, but then we want to continue that once whichever candidate is elected to office and is serving in Washington. One of the struggles I think people have in this country today is how they can be politically active or civically active in a positive way. We see a lot of division. We see a lot of um, talking past each other instead of talking with each other and figuring out ways to work together to cooperate to become our better selves. And so this, I think, is a step in that direction. And so it's important for the candidates to come and talk to us and be in that conversation.
4: And some say that um, the church community
3: shouldn't be involved in politics. What would be your response to that? Well, my response is that I don't think that the church community should be partisan. I don't think that we should advocate for one political party or another political party. But politics actually arises out of a similar instinct as faith and that is morality. And we make value judgments. And where we get those value judgments typically can begin in our religious faith and from our faith institutions. And so we are called to walk in the world and live out the values that we've Learn and, and perfect in our religious institutions, and so I do not believe we should be partisan, but we absolutely must be active in civic life in order to bring about what the kingdom should look like on earth.
4: Earlier in the program, um, one of the organizers mentioned that Cindy High Smith was indeed invited, um, but she was absent, so therefore declined the invitation. Do you have any response to that?
3: I'm sad. I was one of the people who reached out to her staff. Um, We reached out in every way we thought possible, including interpersonal relationships, people who go to church with people, and we we used networking in in every way we could. Just as I felt that we were able to educate Secretary Espy on our concerns, we want to educate Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith on our concerns we think it it was a a, uh, an excellent forum in which she could have heard from us and so we feel it wasn't an an opportunity missed especially about that yeah
4: right especially her being this you know this the sitting um senator you know there there are things that she's doing right now or has been doing over the past couple days before the runoff that could have you know uh, gave her more insight
3: and I, I feel it's important to mention in that vein as well that Working Together Jackson reaches out and works with any elected official or public official who has the power to act in ways that are consistent with our vision. So. We didn't mention public transportation today, but it was on our agenda. It is on our agenda for rebuilding Jackson. And we did speak with Secretary Espy at the last meeting about public transportation. And one of the things that has come up in Jackson around public transportation is that J-Tran needed new buses in a very desperate way. And so prior to really the, the – prior to the campaign really heating up um, – we have stood with the mayor at press conferences thanking Senator Cindy High smith for helping find dollars in the federal budget for buses for the city of Jackson. So we are desirous of working with public officials, so it does make me sad that even though we had some positive public relationship prior to this, that she, she didn't come.
4: Given the comments that went viral this weekend um, made by Senator Cindy Hyde Smith, um, do you have any feelings towards that?
3: I think it's very important to understand the political context in which you are seeking public office, and so an an understanding of Mississippi requires an understanding of the violent history and frankly the um state-sponsored private-sponsored attempts that were made and to, to keep african americans from voting to keep african americans out of the economic sphere and so if you're going to enter a campaign in this context then i think you need to be speaking words out of your mouth that do not degrade or um make other folks feel less than. And so frankly, I'm disappointed and it is upsetting. But I think that we have to look to each other, cooperate, and work together for the public good.
4: Sarah Campbell with Wells United Methodist Church in Jackson. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
1: In other news, today Mississippians are coming together to honor a student athlete who passed away last week after he was injured on the football field. MPB's Alexandra Watts reports.
5: Today is Jeremiah Williams Day in Greenville. The day honors the Greenville High School junior who passed away after a spinal cord injury during a football game on November 2nd. Lacey Brosovich works with Retzer Resources. She says the McDonald's locations the group owns are donating proceeds for William's medical and funeral expenses. She says the tragedy resonates with families. You've got
6: aunts, grandparents, moms, and dads during football season, or, you know, already worried about their kids, and then something happens to a great individual like Jeremiah. So you're kind of worried about what's going on with your kids, and you just want to help this family out as much as
5: possible because if something like this to happen to your family, you would want the support as well. People outside of Greenville are contributing too. John Ray is the father of a Madison Central player. The team Williams was playing when injured. He set up a GoFundMe that has raised four times its original goal.
2: The furthest one that I saw contributing to the fund was from California. But I've seen people from Arizona, California, Colorado, Tennessee, all over the United States contributing to the fine.
5: Jeremiah Williams will be laid to rest Friday in Greenville. Alexandra Watts, MPB News.
1: To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, we'll hear how advocates hope today's Great American Smokeout will inspire Mississippians to quit using tobacco. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
2: I'm Robert Krulwich from Radio Lab. We're told that smell triggers memories in the brain. So if you're in your car, let's try something. Roll up your windows and inhale, okay? There are some memories you cherish and others that just um, linger. But now here's a thought. How about contributing this barrel of aroma that is your car to your favorite public radio station? And you might even get a tax deduction. Thanks. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition
1: on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More than 34 million Americans still smoke cigarettes, and smoking remains the single largest preventable cause of death and illness in the world. More than 16 million Americans live with a smoking-related disease. Today is the American Cancer Society's 43rd Annual Great American Smokeout. The annual event encourages smokers to make a plan to quit smoking. Kim Hughes is the Mississippi Government Relations Director for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. She tells us more.
6: November 15th is the American Cancer Society's 43rd Annual Great American Smokeout. And this started as a day and still as a day for people who use tobacco to create a plan to quit. Um, no matter what age or how long they have smoked, quitting can help them live longer and be healthier. Um, since it first started, we have also now used that day as a time to show how lawmakers can can do things to help make the difficult task of quitting a little bit easier by supporting tobacco control policy change.
1: What? You're asking people to quit smoking one day and see how it
6: goes? Well, it started as a quit smoking for that one day. But now, knowing that that's easier said than done, we're asking people who use tobacco to use that day as to really, you know, kick things off and to create a plan to quit smoking.
1: What might be included in that plan? Because I'm sure if someone has smoked, as a former smoker, I can tell you that, the best laid plans, you know, often lead astray because it's difficult to quit. It really is.
6: Right. Well, Mississippi has some great resources. We have a um, quit line in Mississippi that people can call and get access to tobacco cessation counseling and some nicotine replacement therapies. Um, There's also different medications that they can take if they consult with their physician. We definitely advise that they do that. So it's definitely up to the individual and, you know, it will depend on the individual as to what their plan is. But between talking to the counselors at the quit line and their own personal physician, we hope that people can access those resources to be able to do so.
1: What if someone decides, I'm not ready to quit today, but I am going to quit. Today's the day that I say I'm going to quit. What's the first thing that that smoker should do?
6: Well, I would call the tobacco quit line from Mississippi and talk to a counselor. I'm unfortunately not a medical professional, so I would just advise that they talk to their physician or to a counselor and to see what's the best course of treatment for them to quit.
1: Since the Great American Smokeout began, any data that suggests how many actually have quit smoking? That's a long time, 43 years.
6: It is, and um you know, we have seen a decline in smoking, but the industry has also gotten creative with products, and and people are trying different things and new things that are out there. Um, and, you know, there hasn't been as much of a decline in certain populations as others. So we have made progress, but um, still have got a lot of work to be done. that's why we are advocating for policies, one in particular, increasing the price of cigarettes. Um, increasing the tobacco tax, a significant increase in the tobacco tax is one of the best ways to get people to quit smoking, but also one of the best ways to prevent our young people from ever starting to smoke. So we are really pushing that to reduce those that ever pick up the habit so they won't have to deal with finding a day to, to quit. What is
1: the age group that is is most likely to smoke?
6: I'm not sure that the largest smoking age, but um, we do know that you know many people start before the age of 18. So anything that we can, we can do to prevent them from starting to smoke, such as you know increasing the price or having smoke-free environments um, and access to a lot of programs in our schools to educate the children about the harmful effects of smoking is what we're trying to do. Tobacco is the number one preventable cause of disease and death. So um, cigarette smoking attributes now for about one-third of all cancer deaths.
1: How many, or how does Mississippi stack up against other states in terms of numbers who smoke?
6: Um, I think our adult smoking rate is right around the national average or maybe just a little bit below, which is around 22 23% compared to other states. So we're, you know, we're not doing too bad, but those are 22 or 23 percent of our population that are smoking that, you know, will more than likely, you know, get a smoking-related disease one day that we would love to prevent.
1: You mentioned a quit line number earlier. Can you give us that number?
6: Yes. The Mississippi Tobacco Quit Line um, is very easy. It's 1-800-QUIT-NOW, or that's one 800 784 8669 or you can also visit their website at quitlinems.com.
1: Kim Hughes is the Mississippi Government Relations Director for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. Kim, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much. Coming up in our book club, a conversation with author and professor Andrew Weist. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Libro
3: FM Audiobooks and Square Books in Oxford, an independent bookstore offering more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and bookseller recommendations. More at Libro.fm. This is
1: Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Andrew Least is professor of history at the University of Southern Mississippi and the founding director of the Center for the Study of War and Society. His books include Vietnam's Forgotten Army, which won the Society for Military History's Distinguished Book Award, America and the Vietnam War, and Rolling Thunder in a Gentle Land. His book, The Boys of 67, was the basis for the National Geographic special, Brothers in War. In today's book club, Weiss tells us it's one of the least told stories of war, covering the women and families left behind. His new book is Charlie Company's Journey Home, the forgotten impact on the wives of Vietnam veterans.
2: Charlie Company was a unit that was drafted in 1966 and trained in 66, and they were in combat in the Mekong Delta, the area south of Saigon, for pretty much the calendar year of 1967, fighting a number of major battles, but 60 percent of their losses were to snipers and booby traps, the kind of typical low-level Vietnam War Of the 160 guys who went over there, 26 were killed and 105 were wounded. It was a pretty difficult year for these men.
1: We watched the Vietnam War on television. How did that affect the wives seeing what they were seeing on TV?
2: That's such an interesting part of it because the wives dealt with their husband's absence in quite a few different ways. Some wives desperately craved news and watched the news all the time attempting to pick up any tidbit they could about their husbands. Others totally avoided it. The chief way that wives learned about what their husband was doing was through writing letters. The letters took about two weeks to get home, so often they were a little old. The news was a bit stale, so it was really bad for immediate communication. And to be frank, almost all the husbands did not tell their wives the bad stuff. They did not tell their wives about battles and loss in an effort to Protect their young brides at home. Uh, They only talked about the good things. And the wives kind of picked up on that, and many of them tried to figure out what was going on again by watching the news or uh, reading newspapers. That was a very bothersome thing because they heard something terrible happened to Vietnam, but they had no idea whether it happened to their husband or not. That was usually very difficult to find out. In fact, one of the uh, wives who was pregnant came pretty close to losing her child because she got so worried when she saw a news report
1: some of the men were not forthcoming about what they had been through did that carry over to when they came back and the years that
2: followed very much so the husbands had been through some pretty tough times every one of them had lost a friend and comrade often holding that friend and comrade when they died and you died in vietnam in gruesome ways and almost all the husbands had become killers so here are 19 year old men who suddenly stepped outside the normal realm of human behavior. Their wives and their children were the normality that they were grabbing onto. And the way I like to put it in the book was that the husbands didn't want to turn their wives and families into something abnormal by sharing the brutality of their experience. They thought that it would change their relationship with their wives somehow. And so most of the husbands kept it to themselves. One or two were very forthcoming, uh, but most of them held it inside for years.
1: What does that do to the wives? How many of these marriages ended in divorce, or did the women talk about feeling isolated or shut out by their husbands?
2: The women were horribly isolated. The one thing that every one of them wanted to do was to help, and they were told by the one person who, A, needed their help, and B, could help them help that they couldn't help, and not only could they not help, they shouldn't help. So that was a horribly isolating thing for the wives.
1: Did any of these marriages end up in divorce as a result? Yes,
2: yes, certainly, without doubt. But one thing that was hugely surprising to me when I calculated up my numbers was that of the marriages that were in place when men went to the Vietnam War, 25% of those couples divorced, and one additional couple divorcing and then remarrying. Most of these couples got married in 1965. When I weighed that against the normal attritional rate for marriage in 1965, 50% of most other couples married in that year divorced. Charlie Company only had 25% divorce rate. And what I attribute that to is that these women became veterans in their own right. They were struggling alongside a husband who was struggling and... uh, they almost have their own mantra of, no man will be left behind. Uh, they understood that their husbands were in some ways casualties of this war. At least the young husband they sent away was a casualty. And they refused to let that war be the thing that caused their divorce. It's actually a story of overcoming and redemption for almost all the wives. For some reason, nobody's ever bothered to write about it. Nobody's ever bothered to give these women their voice.
1: This book is called Charlie Company's Journey Home, The Forgotten Impact on the Wives of Vietnam Veterans. Andrew Wiest is the author. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's MPB's all-new show, AutoCorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.